then we'll get you paired up. Okay, enough announcements. We're getting close. Two more weeks of Genesis, tonight and then next Wednesday. Tonight we're going to finish chapter 48. We did seven verses last week. And if you were here last week, we learned that Jacob is ill, and, and more or less he's slowly dying. So Joseph sets out to see him, and he takes his two sons that were born in Egypt. Either I'm having a stroke or the lights are getting dim. And, you know, just so, so you're laughing, so I'm not having a stroke. Awesome. That's, that's really good news. Praise the Lord. Um, ye of little faith. Um, but he's going to take his two sons. are going to go see Dad. And the title tonight is called Blessed. Sometimes we sing it as blessed, so you pick your pronunciation, but blessed. Because Jacob is going to realize his whole life has been blessed. He didn't always see it. But tonight, I think he comes to sort of full realization of that. So we're going to start in verse 8. So Genesis chapter 48, verse 8. Here's what it says. It says, when Israel, and that's Jacob, saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, who are these? You know how grandparents do sometimes. You know the children maybe, but you say, who are these? And you just kind of want them to answer their name possibly. But his son says, verse 9, they are the sons God has given me here. And here would be Egypt. Joseph said to his father, Then Israel said, Bring them to me so that I may bless them. It does say in verse 10, Israel's eyes were failing because of old age, and he could hardly see. So maybe he didn't exactly know the, the guys, the, the sons, but either way, they're in the room, they're all together, so Joseph does what he says. It says, Joseph brought his sons close, his father kissed them, he embraced them, and then Israel says to Joseph, his son, I never expected to see your face ever again. But now, even better than that, God has allowed me to see your children too. So he's starting to realize how, remember, he had almost lost all hope. If, you, if we were to reset the dial back to earlier chapters, he thought he'd never see Joseph. He, remember, he, he thought he was torn apart by wild animals, that whole coat of many colors episode. But he's finally realizing, God is blessing me, um, which brings up a great verse out of Psalms. We're going to look at it on screen. It's Psalms 37, 4. Here's what it says. This is for us, but it's also for Joseph. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Which below it's kind of the first thing you want to write down tonight if you're taking notes. This is especially for us. When we're going through a trial, when we're fearful like we prayed about, when something's going on we don't really see a way, a way out of, don't lose hope. That was kind of our theme last week, the whole sermon. Don't lose hope. And there's the real key. God can transform your biggest defeat into his miracle, into a great blessing. Because if you remember our story, Jacob thought he was defeated. He'd lost his favorite son. Now he's got his favorite son back, which he shouldn't have favorites. We talked about that for quite a while. But he's got his favorite son. But in addition, he has two bonus grandsons that he never saw coming. So he is blessed. God can bless us in that same manner. So don't lose hope. Even in a trial, your blessing is right around the corner. Verse 12. Then Joseph removed them, the boys, from Israel's knees, and he bowed down with his face to the ground. He's honoring his father. And he took both of them, Ephraim, now some of you might pronounce that Ephraim, Ephraim. Ephraim is how they say it in the south, by the way, so that's sort of how I learned it, but really they would have said it, Ephraim, so I might try to repeat that a few times tonight. We'll see how I do. Doesn't really matter. 
just maybe I'll just say Joseph's son. This son, Ephraim, was on the right side, on the right toward Israel's left, and Manasseh was on his left toward Israel's right hand. So they're kind of in position. We'll find out in a few minutes they're backwards. Israel, and then Israel brought them close. But Israel reached out the right hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger. Don't miss that. So he's got his right hand on the younger son, grandson, really. And then crossing his arms, so he's literally doing this to, to put these arms on these two boys' heads. He put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Now, we'll see later that that was intentional. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't because he couldn't see well like we read a while ago. But really, it's the opposite of what should have happened. Let's keep reading, though, verse 15. Then he blessed Joseph. doesn't say the boys. He blessed Joseph, and then he said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd. Interesting, he's calling God now my shepherd, like personal. He, Jacob and Israel are changing, same guy, but now he's looking more like Israel, isn't he? Less like Jacob. He's saying my God, really, if you think about it. He's been my shepherd all my life up to this very day. The angel who has delivered me from harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly on the earth. Well, he said he blessed Joseph, but really it sounds like a blessing on the boy. So how would that bless Joseph? Well, if you think about it, Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob, they have that family covenant that God originally gave to Abraham. Joseph is being blessed really by Jacob, because he's passing that covenant now to his sons. He's pushing that family covenant down the line another generation. So he is being blessed, which brings up our second thing to write down tonight. You know, God blesses all of us in so many different ways, but if we're not careful, we'll miss it sometime. Don't miss it. Because usually what we want to do, and, and we're all guilty of this, I'm guilty, probably you too, we have this sort of preconceived expectation of what we think that blessing would look like, don't we? Well, if I do this, I go to Bible study, I'm here on Wednesday night, I'll get kind of brownie points with the Lord, and he's going to bless me in ways X, Y, Z. Well, God very well may bless us, but it may be in a way we never saw coming, in a different way. Maybe even I would make the case a lot of times it's a better way because his ways are higher than our ways. Scripture tells us that. So if, if the blessing didn't like line up with what I thought it was, I just need to hold on and let God be God and get out of the way and just see what he's going to do and be sure I don't miss what he's already in the progress of doing. That's for all of us. But right now when I read that my shepherd while ago, by the way, that's the first time in our Bibles anybody uses the analogy of God as a shepherd. So Jacob gets the credit for calling God shepherd first. We know it's all through scripture. We usually associate it with David and his story a lot. But Jacob is the first one to call literally God my shepherd. Let's keep reading verse 17. When Joseph saw his father placing his right hand, that's the key, the right hand, on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. He didn't like it. So he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh. He's trying to correct his dad. But look 
but look what he said. And then Joseph even says, no, my father, the, this, is, this one's the firstborn. You, you kind of got it backwards, Dad, is what he's saying. Put your right hand on his head. Well, why is he displeased? I hinted at it a while ago. Really, it's backwards. Culturally, the first son, the firstborn, gets the greater blessing. And he's, he's got his hands crossed, so that's not going to happen. Manasseh was the firstborn. He should be getting all the, the higher blessing. But look at 19, what it says. But his father Jacob refused. He said, I know. In other words, I know what I'm doing, son. Get your hand off me. I know he too will become a people, and he too will become great. But nevertheless, he's going to qualify that. His younger brother will be greater than he. In other words, here we go again. It's kind of a common theme in the Bible. The younger will be greater than the older, and his descendants will be a group of nations. Now, this blessing did actually happen. If we were to jump ahead a few chapters in Scripture, um, in Isaiah, if we went all the way to the book of Isaiah, that's kind of where it really happens. Um, Ephraim is the name that's used to describe the whole nation of Israel. It's not called Israel in um, Isaiah. It's called Ephraim, or Ephraim if you're southern. So really, Ephraim became a very powerful kingdom. It was the whole of Israel in a way for, for many, many, time, many years. Let's keep reading verse 20. He blessed them that day, both those boys, and he said, In your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. In other words, may the nation be like these two boys. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. He kind of switcherooed the firstborn right thing. Well, was that okay with God? Let's check Scripture, because a lot of times it's good to let Scripture interpret Scripture, not the pastor up here going down a rabbit trail like me sometime. Let's look on screen. There's a great verse that will clarify what I'm hinting at. This is out of Jeremiah. This is God speaking. He, he, he gives a long speech, and that's God speaking in parentheses by me, just so you know who's talking. It's not Jeremiah, it's God. He says, I will lead them beside streams of water on a level path, God's people, where they will not stumble because I am Israel's father. And then look what it says. And Ephraim is my firstborn son. He's my firstborn of the nation. So he's honoring, agreeing. Maybe he put Jacob up to this because um, God doesn't make mistakes. We know that. He's definitely okay with it because God himself in that verse said, Ephraim is my firstborn son. And it's just a great example of God elevating someone from the status, from a lesser, you know, because they always valued the firstborn as the highest. But it happened all through Scripture. Think about King David. What was King David? He was the one out in the field. They had all those boys lined up, remember, and they checked them all out. Surely it's him. Surely it's him. And finally, they're out of sons, and they said, do you have any more? Yeah, well, you know, David's out in the field somewhere, tending sheep. Go get him. God elevated David in this same manner because God knows the heart. God knows what he's doing when he elevates a son out of order, if we will. Back to the story, verse 21. Then Israel said to Joseph, I'm about to die. We already said he was kind of on his deathbed. But, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. And to you... Another blessing, I give one more ridge of land than your brother to the other guys. The ridge I took from the Amorites with my sword and my bow. 
Now, once again, this will happen when they go back in the promised land. That's quite a ways away yet. Because the tribe of Manasseh, if you were to read that story, they're the only one of the all 12 tribes. They get land on both sides of the Jordan. They get land. Remember, some of the tribes asked to stay back, and um, they said, yeah, you can have this land over here, but you have to come fight first and help us, help us take the land. Then you can go back. Well, Manasseh gets both. The tribe of Manasseh has an inheritance in the promised land, also outside on the fertile plain that was great farming and, and cropland. So they kind of get a double blessing, if you will. So he does, Manasseh, get kind of a double firstborn blessing in a roundabout way by getting land in two places. Well, then what happens, and we don't have time to teach on it, but, you know, I don't like to leave things hanging. What happened eventually to this northern kingdom, the powerful kingdom that, you know, was called Ephraim? Well, eventually, they kind of turn away from God into idolatry, and they really lead most of the nation along with them down this path of sin. And so God eventually will allow the Assyrian nation to invade, to take them all captive, and haul them off into their first captivity. And it's a good time to review some verses because, you know, you makes you wonder, well, what did they do? Were they really that bad? Well, if we read these verses, I think you'll agree they were pretty terrible. I mean, terrible as you can get is how I would put it. Let's look at the verse I'm talking about as 2 Kings. It starts in 16. It says, here's the people. This is the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, if you will. They forsook all the commands of the Lord their God and made for themselves two idols, two golden calves. They made two golden calves. You know, in the whole Moses incident, they made one. Now this nation, they made two. And by the way, they put one of those at the tribe of Dan, which we'll get to in a little bit. And an Asherah pole. That's like a pagan fertility thing. It's no good either. And they bowed down to the horoscopes to the starry host, and they worship Baal, the devil, Satan. Pretty bad list so far, right? Well, it's going to get worse. Let me read a few more verses. Look in verse 17 and 18. And this is God's people doing this. They sacrifice their own sons and daughters in the fire. And by the way, that's even worse than it sounds. If you read kind of historical accounts, they didn't just pitch babies in the fire, which would be bad enough. They would take metal statues in the shape of their gods that weren't gods, little g-gods, and they would have these outstretched arms, heat the statue red hot, and then lay the baby in there. Burn them to death in that way, in a, in a false god's arms. They practiced divination, which is sorcery, horoscopes. They sought omens. They sold themselves even, probably into prostitution, to do evil in the sights of the Lord's eyes. They aroused his anger, so then look what happened. The Lord was very angry with Israel, removed them from his presence by letting Assyria haul them off into captivity. But look who's left. There's always a remnant preserved in Scripture. There's always a remnant. Remember, God preserves a remnant. Only the tribe of Judah was left. And we'll talk about the tribe of Judah later tonight, too. So the people of Israel were terrible. That's pagan by any description, maybe worse than what the pagans were almost doing. So God judged them for their behavior. They had it all, but they also abandoned it all and walked away from their faith. Well, that was the end of 48. We're going to start a new chapter. So if you're turning tonight, um, flip to chapter 49, um, or you can pull up the notes online. It's all these notes are online also, by the way, if you're new. So chapter 49, verse 1, here's what it says. Then Jacob called for his sons 
Because all remember from chapter 48, we just saw Joseph and his two sons, which have been Jacob's grandsons. Now Jacob wants all of his sons in the same room because he is starting to die. Gather around so I can tell you what will happen in days to come. Then he says in verse 2, Assemble and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to your father Israel. So notice in verse 2, he's kind of using both of his names for himself in the same sentence. He called himself, he called the boy, sons of Jacob, he is Jacob, and your father Israel. So I don't think he has an identity crisis. I think he probably realizes there's still little Jacob left in me, and so he kind of in a roundabout way acknowledges that. But he's calling for the sons to come for a blessing, which it's going to be. But as we read this, and, and from here on out, it's kind of a long um, blessing over each son. A lot of it is mostly prophetic. It's a prophecy. And then some of it's even what I would call a rebuke. So if they were acted bad in the past, and we already know some of his boys did, they'll get a rebuke tonight. So they might get a blessing, they might get a rebuke, but it's in a way all prophetic. So as I was studying, I, I didn't even really know this, maybe you know it, a lot of Bible scholars, and I even asked Pastor Rick, and he already knew it, and he agreed with me, that Jacob is seen by many as the first prophet in Scripture. Now, he's not listed in the line of prophets. He doesn't have a book of his own. But you'll see really clearly in a few minutes what he's speaking is like prophetic word. And if you know Scripture, the real test of a prophet is does it come true? And what he says is going to come true. So let's start in verse 3, the first son. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, the first sign of my strength, excelling in honor, excelling in power. Sounds good so far, doesn't it? But I hadn't read verse 4 yet. Turbulent as the waters, imagine your dad telling you this, you will no longer excel. And he really means at anything. And here's why. There's a reason. Think back to Genesis earlier. We taught on this. For you went up onto your father's bed, my bed is what he means, onto my couch, and you defiled it. You defiled my bed. And if we were to, once again, rewind Scripture, Reuben is the one who slept with his dad's concubine wife, his wife, Bilhah. So he's kind of paying, he thought he probably never got in trouble for it. Well, he's getting in trouble now with almost a curse in a way. And by the way, this prophetic word, you will no longer excel, came true. And I didn't know this either until I was studying, but no prophet, no judge, no king ever, ever, ever comes out of the tribe of Reuben. They just kind of fade away into this idolatry we read about. So one came true already. Let's, see, let's do some more sons. Simeon and Levi. Look what he says about them. They are brothers. Their swords are weapons of violence. I'm reading verse 5, by the way. Let me not enter their council. Let me not join their assembly. I will never hang out with you again, is more or less what he's saying. They have killed, here's the why. They have killed men in their anger. They have hamstrung oxen as they pleased. And the assumption there is kind of for fun. Cursed be their anger so fierce and their fury so cruel. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. So he's kind of prophetically saying they're just going to flitter away to nothing also. 
Now, if you remember the why, back again, if we went back to chapter 34, these are the two sons when their sister Dinah got raped. They tricked the men of Shechem into getting circumcised and then killed them all. And they wiped out the whole village. Um, but there's good news and bad news in, in this situation because God can also overrule even prophecy because one tribe does literally fade away, Simeon. Simeon just kind of gets absorbed into pagan culture slowly. But the other tribe is Levi. Doesn't that ring a little bell? Levi? And if I were to put on the screen, which I'm not, but I'll read us two verses. Out of Exodus 32, this is the golden calf story I referenced a few minutes ago. And it's Moses' version. Let me read it to you. It's Exodus 32, 26. It says, Moses stood at the entrance of the camp because he's come off the mountain. He went up there to talk to God. He got the Ten Commandments. He comes down, and there's a giant golden calf. And he's like, what are you guys doing? So he comes at the entrance of the camp, and he says, whoever is for the Lord, rally. Come to me. And Scripture says that all the Levites rallied to Moses. So they, they obeyed the call. Everybody else is just partying around this golden calf. Then if we drop down to 32:29, it says, Moses, after they do what he tells them to, which really, remember, if you know the story, he says, attack all these people that won't stop this party. Some of the people got convicted. They kind of acted better, but some of them were still doing crazy nonsense. And the Levites wipe them out with their swords. So Moses at the end says, you have been set apart by the Lord today. For you were against your own sons and your own brothers, and he has blessed you this day. Which brings up our next thing to write. You know, we've all made mistakes. The Levites, they made a bunch of mistakes. They shouldn't have massacred those men. God didn't tell them to do that. But they repented, they returned, they came back, and God redeemed them for that. So maybe you're here watching online, maybe you're here in the room, you're in the commons, maybe you think you've made too many mistakes in your life. Maybe you think you've messed up, and, and nobody knows it. You're here in church, but you're almost ashamed to be in God's house because you know what you did. God will redeem you just like those Levites. All he expects of us, repent, which means, God, I'm sorry I messed up. Forgive me. You have to ask for it, and then ask him to help you change. Help me do better. Help me to be more like your son, Jesus. And the Holy Spirit will help you do that. The door is always open in God's house for restoration. It's never closed until we take our last breath. So don't ever convict yourself. That's from the enemy. The enemy's full of condemnation. God wants our repentance, not our condemnation of our own self, because he will forgive us if we are willing to turn and, and renounce our evil ways and follow him. So if that's you tonight, at the end of the service, I'd love to pray with you. Let's just tell God, look, I'm sorry. I want to move on and leave that thing behind me. I want to be like these Levites and change, and God will help you do that. Verse 8, this is a really good one. Judah, the tribe of Judah. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son, like a lion. So he's called him a lion twice. He crouches and lies down like a lioness who dares to rouse him. Don't wake mom up. She'll rip your face off. That's kind of what that one says. Think about Revelation. 
what is Jesus called in Revelation? The Lion of the tribe of Judah. Here we go. Old Testament, New Testament connecting. 10 is maybe even the best part of this verse, or maybe 11. We'll see what you think. Verse 10, it says, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. Here's the part you want to focus on. Until he to whom it belongs shall come. Until he to whom it belongs shall come. And the obedience of the nations shall be his. Some translations, and you can pull them up online and compare them. Maybe somebody even tonight has one. It'll say, until Shiloh comes. Either way, until he, he whom it belongs comes or until Shiloh, both of those things mean until the Messiah comes. This is a prophetic word about Jesus all the way back in Genesis, saying until he comes, because that's who it belongs to, and then when he does come, the obedience of the nations will be his. And if you look at Jewish history, even though they were occupied and taken over um, numerous times by foreign nations, even during occupation until the tail end of it, they always were allowed what I would call a limited form of self-rule. In other words, the, the conquering nation, we'll just use Rome, would come in, take control. They would, up until Rome, allow the Jews to do their own kind of government. And even, you know, in Herod's day, Herod was there, but the Romans had higher power because what they lost in the Roman period, up until that time, when a foreign nation was there, they could still execute their own prisoners. They could do their own capital punishment. Well, on Easter, you know, we're going to hear the Jesus story. We know at that time, that's why they had to go see Pilate because they said, you've got to crucify him because they weren't allowed to. They had lost that ability to mete out capital punishment. And the rabbis of that time were really distressed about that, by the way. And here's what they went around saying. I found an interesting quote. They would say, woe to Israel. These are rabbis, the religious leaders. The scepter has now been taken away. In other words, we can't execute criminals. The scepter has been taken away from Judah, and Shiloh, has, the Messiah, has still not come. Well, they were wrong. He did come. They just missed it. Jesus was their Messiah they wouldn't acknowledge. So that's a cool verse, verse 10, that the scepter will not depart from Judah until he to whom it belongs comes. Verse 11 is also equally interesting, I think. Let's read that one. He, this Shiloh, this Messiah, will tether his donkey to a vine and his colt to a choicest branch. That sound familiar? We're going to see it in a second. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. I guess that was really important to them, teeth whiter than milk. Maybe it still is. That's why we do teeth whitening. But as I read that, it did prompt me to think about a similar verse, and you're going to know it. It's Matthew 21. Let's look at it. Talk about colts and vines and donkeys tied up. Doesn't that look very familiar? Let's read it. Jesus sent two disciples, remember, and he said, go to the village ahead, there'll be a donkey tied up there, and she'll have her colt. Untie him, tell the guy you need him, and bring him back to me. Jacob talked about that in verse 11. He will tether his donkey to a vine and his colt to the choicest branch. So, once again, Scripture supports Scripture. 
generations and hundreds of years later. Next son, um, this one there's not a whole lot I can say about him, Zebulun. Zebulun will live by the seashore, this is verse 13 by the way, and become a haven for ships. His border will extend toward Sidon. Well, all this really means is they became a powerful nation on the coast, and, and in Scripture you'll learn if you would kind of read about Zebulon, they sent over 50,000 soldiers into David's army. So they were known to be a strong fighting force and a powerful army. Issachar. Issachar is a raw-boned donkey. Thanks, Dad. Lying down among the sheep pens. Verse 15, though, says, When he sees how good is his resting place, and how pleasant is his land, he will bend his shoulder to the burden and submit to forced labor. All that is code words for Ishakar is kind of lazy. And they were known to be, I guess, a tribe of not very hard workers. They were very strong, but they didn't work very hard. They, and so in, in Jewish history, they, this tribe was frequently carried off into slavery and put to forced labor. And that's why it said they will submit to forced labor. Next tribe, Dan. Um, and if you remember last week, I put up that chart with all the, the tribes on it in Revelation. I told us I was going to take us on a little rabbit trail of tribe stuff and 12 tribes. Well, that was really not a rabbit trail. It was intentional um, because we're going to see Dan this week for real. Um, and, but remember last week, if you were here, I pointed out there's no Dan in Revelation mentioned. Like They're not there anymore. Maybe we'll see a little bit why in this verse. Verse 16 says, Dan will provide justice for his people as one of the tribes of Israel. So far, so good. Verse 17, not so good. Dan will be a snake by the roadside, a viper along the path that bites the horse's heels. So its rider stumbles backwards. Now, once again, at least in my mind, that strikes a very similar sounding verse to me. Think about in the garden when God's talking to Satan. He said, the Messiah, Jesus, he will crush your head, you will strike his heel. Dan was just told, you'll be a viper on the path that strikes the horse's heel. Sounds a little similar. Either way, Dan, Dan is, doesn't end well. Remember I told you they're gone in Revelation. So I think I made the case last week they go into idolatry, but maybe there's even more to it. In some ways, I would make the case that verse sounds similar to like they're almost evil, they're being influenced by Satan, Maybe that's why they go into idolatry. They do have a golden calf in their town. That's always not good. Verse 18, though, is interesting. It's kind of what I would call a standalone verse. In other words, it doesn't belong with Dan. It also doesn't really go with the next son of Gad that's coming up. Now, let me read it to you. It says, it's almost like in the middle of this long prophetic statement, Jacob just maybe he's filled with the Spirit. I don't really know. And he just takes a left turn and utters this out instead. He says, I look for your deliverance, Lord. Now that's in the NIV. I think I'm going to break ground here in a second. Um, I'm going to put up a translation I would likely say we've never used here at Calvary. Hope Dave doesn't get mad at me. It's out of the Orthodox Jewish Bible. So I thought about it. I've never seen the Orthodox Jewish Bible. Maybe some of the Jewish Messianic Jews in the room would like it, but we're going to look at it. It's Bereshish 49, that's Genesis to us Gentiles. Genesis 49, 18, same verse. Look what it says, though, in, in, in their translation. I have waited for thy Yeshua. 
thy salvation. But if you were here, I've been on a rabbit trail before about Jesus' name on the weekend. Yeshua is Joshua. Joshua translates to English as Jesus. So I have waited for thy Jesus is what it really says in our language. Hashem. What is Hashem? Even, I, I'm like, I don't know. I did look that one up. You know, it goes back to the Jews would never say God's name. And Hashem is literally, it means in their language, in Hebrew, the name. It's the name. It's so reverent. We're so holy. We're so in awe. We can't say it. You know, we know Yahweh. We think it's Yahweh because they would skip, you know, part of it and not pronounce it all. Well, Hashem, they would write, but all it means is the name. And really, it's like God saying, I am the name. But it's interesting that out of the middle of this kind of prophetic blessing and doom mixed in together, Jacob just comes out with this one. I have waited for thy Messiah, thy, thy Yeshua, thy Jesus, really, which is why I put it up in the Orthodox Jewish Bible. So might not see that again for who knows how many years, if at all, but it's kind of cool to see some of the meaning, what really is there, to me anyway. hope you're agreeing with me. Either way, the reason I put that up there, I'm kind of making the case, he doesn't even know it, Jacob but he just gave a prophecy about Jesus on top of the one we just read in the tribe of Judah. Next son, Gad, verse 19. Gad will be attacked by a band of raiders, but he will attack them at their heels. This was another what I would call strong army tribe like Zebulon. They sent many soldiers to fight in King David's army. And some of these sons are not a whole lot of application I can make for us. Um, like Asher, for example. Asher's food will be rich. Well, he will provide delicacies fit for a king. And all that really means is they would be prosperous, their land would be very fertile, and they would be able to produce a lot of delicacies. I don't know what that means to me and you, so we're going to move on to Naphtali, the next verse. Naphtali is a doe set free that bears beautiful fawns. The only thing significant about this one, Naphtali is in the region of Galilee, and Galilee is the same area that Jesus does most of his ministry. If you watch The Chosen, all of what he's doing is more or less happening in this area of the tribe of Naphtali or Galilee area. Next, a familiar name, Joseph. Verse 22 says, Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. And vine near a spring means connected to living water in a way. He's deep-rooted, and he's deep-rooted with roots that go to living water. And so it's, what he's really saying is Joseph is connected to God. Then he goes on to describe Joseph's life a little bit. Verse 23 says, With bitterness, archers attacked him. Now, some of this is symbolic. They shot at him with hostility, but his bow remained steady. His strong arm stayed limber. And here's why. Because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, because of the shepherd, and all that's God, the rock of Israel. So when he says his attackers were bitter and hostile, he's kind of insinuating that's his other brothers, because remember, they all hated him. Then when he says his bow remained steady, he's really just saying God helped him hold that bow. God was his strength is another good way to almost view that. Then in verse 25, it says, because of your father's God who helps you. Well, 
Let me stop right there for just a second. Because of your father's God. Well, who's Joseph's father? Jacob, the one speaking. So really what he's saying, because of my God. Jacob is definitely changing into Israel. Now he's calling God my God. Then he says, because of the Almighty who blesses you with blessings of the skies above, blessings of the deep springs below, blessings of the breast and womb. And we, we know from going all through Genesis now almost to the end, you know, Jacob never referred in the past really hardly ever, if ever, to God as my God. It was always my father's God, your God, somebody else's God. And he even swore an oath um, at one point on the fear of my father, Isaac, and that really meant God, the fear of my father. But now in these two verses, let me just kind of paraphrase what he said. He called God the mighty one of Jacob. That's really saying my God. The shepherd, the rock of Israel. Another way of saying, because he is Israel. He's my rock. He's my God is what he's really saying. Then he, I just said, he said, your father's God, but he's talking to Joseph. So he is the father. So he's really once again saying my God about four times. And then finally, he calls him the Almighty, which brings up our next thing to write. Last one, if you're taking notes. Our faith in God has to be our own. It can't come from our parents. It can't come from our siblings. It, came, it can't come from a person our family we see as the spiritual giant of the family. If you're a child here in this room, it can't come from your parents. On the other hand... I have friends where the children are more spiritual than the grandparents. So it doesn't work that way either. Your faith, my faith, all of our faith has to come from having a personal relationship with God. Because Scripture tells us if we were to look back at Revelation, we go before God for judgment and we stand there alone, all by ourselves. I don't get to bring my wife. You don't get to bring your best friend, your wife, your kid. I don't care how spiritual they are, they're going to go solo just like you and I will. We have to give an account for ourselves in the end times. And if we're okay, God's going to tell us, well done, good and faithful servant, come on in. But he also might say to some, I never knew you. I knew your dad. knew your kids. I know your name, but I don't know you. You're not my friend. So once again, if that's you tonight, don't miss tonight. Let's solidify that relationship. If you need to repent, we can repent. I'll help you pray together. But if you never even trusted God with you, you can do that tonight too before you leave. But your faith has got to be your own. But it's never too late. Once again, remember I said the door to forgiveness is always open. The door to salvation is always open in that same manner. It's never too late to tell God we're sorry, to repent, to return. Whether it's the first time or the tenth time, he's got the door open and he's literally begging you to enter. So don't not listen to what he's asking. Verse 26, we're almost done. Your father's blessings are greater than the blessings of the ancient mountains, than the bounty of the age-old hills. Let all of these, in other words, all of these blessings rest on the head of Joseph, on the brow of the prince of his brothers, which really could be translated almost on the brow of my favorite son. He's still got the favorite thing going. But 
just think about Jacob. Remember, I, I told you tonight's title was Blessed. As he reflects on his life, as he prays these blessings over each son or doom for in some of their cases, he now understands, or he seems to, how blessed he was his entire life. Even when he didn't see it, even when he missed it, when he thought he was in trouble and, and desperate, he's now realizing it was one giant blessing. He just didn't always comprehend it. So he's literally passing that blessing on to Jacob, I mean to Joseph, excuse me, and Ephraim and Manasseh, his sons. One more to go, Benjamin, the long-lost brother, remember? Verse 27 says, Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he devours the prey, in the evening he divides the plunder. And if you look at Jewish history again, Benjamin is what I would call the SEAL team or the special forces of the family. They are known to be the fiercest fighters. They're the special teams that goes in behind enemy lines. They're, the book of Judges calls them the fiercest of all the tribes. So that's just kind of what he's saying. Then he ends with, in verse 28, All these are the twelve tribes of Israel, and this is what their father said to them when he blessed them, giving each of them, and here's the key, the blessing appropriate to him. So the good ones got a good blessing, some of the bad-behaving ones got what I would almost call a rebuke. But almost all of it has already come true. There's some that may have not, but here's the thing. None of it has been wrong. So if it seems a little unclear what all these means, all that really means in my mind and hopefully yours, that part is just still yet to come. Just because it hadn't happened doesn't mean it's not going to happen. You know, the whole book of Revelation is one big head-scratcher in some ways. It's all going to come true. We'll understand it someday. But by then, we'll be in God's throne room with him, face to face with Jesus. We're probably not going to worry about these prophecies and prayers over the 12 tribes. We'll be so happy to be there. That'll be way on our back of our, our things we want to know list. But the, the key to that whole thing, God's not done. Just because we don't know every hidden detail of this prophetic word from Jacob, God's not done with them. God's not done with me and you either. He's always working on us. We just have to allow him, because he does give us free will. We can tell God, I don't want that. We can walk away and abandon like the whole tribe did when I read all those horrible verses about burning children to death. But he's not done with me and you. So never think that God can't do something with your messy life. He can make it into his giant miracle. And I'm going to revisit. I'm not going to put it on the screen, but I do want to reread one. I think it was our second main point tonight. You remember I said God blesses all of us in so many ways. That applies to me and you. He's blessed me in so many ways, and some of them I never saw coming. You know, hindsight's always 2020, isn't it? But if it's not the exact way you were expecting, don't miss a blessing that doesn't look like what you expect it to. It may be bigger and better than what you were hoping for. For example, you know, maybe you're renting a house or an apartment and your lease is up and you see no way out, you've been praying, and God has not provided a way out. Well, what you may not know yet, maybe God has a different job and you almost have to end this lease even though you don't want to. He's going to provide a better job and get a different house in a different part of the county or somewhere like that. Maybe you're the ones, remember we talked about we're sending church planters to Titusville? Maybe you're moving to Titusville and you don't know it because it'll be a giant raise in a best house 
Maybe you'll lose your apartment, but it could be a blessing that you don't even understand yet. Now, I'm just making all that up, by the way. But never overlook what God is doing, has done, and will do for us in the future. Well, that ends our night tonight. Now, next week, we're going to end Genesis, so don't miss it. We're going to see Jacob's death happen in chapter 49, and then Joseph's death occurs in chapter 50, and 50 is it. Then the week after that, we're going to start the book of Mark, which is really all about the life of Jesus. So let me pray, and we'll be done. Lord, tonight, thank you for all the blessings that you provided all of us. Lord, I just pray that we would all appreciate what we have, what you've given us. Lord, we sometimes forget to tell you thank you for what you've already done and are doing. Lord, we love you, so thank you for your blessings. Help us see where you're moving, Lord. Open our eyes, our spiritual eyes. Help us love you more like you love us because you love us more than we could ever imagine and you want to bless your children with good, good things. Scripture tells us that. So, Lord, Just help us see what you're doing and let us always appreciate, once again, what you've done, what you're doing, and what you will do. In Jesus' name we pray. We all said, amen. See you this weekend. My enemies scatter because they know the battle.